Well, hey again. We're still in Hebrews. Uh, we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 10 today. Hebrews 10 verses 26 through 39. Uh, and I'm using the Pew Bible, so if you want to use uh, the Pew Bible with me and follow along, it's page 1067. Hebrews 10 verses 26 uh, through 39, and so, sort of an, an ongoing joke I, Jordan and I have. So he, he typically will plan out uh, some months at a time what he's, what he's planning to preach, uh, just so he knows that we know it, we know what's coming. Sometimes d- picking a passage is hard, and if you just know months out, it's, it's a little easier. Um, and uh, it, it always seems to work out to where he's not here uh, when I have this really difficult passage, this really complicated <laughs> passage, and it, the, I think the first one, this was a few years ago, but I have to preach First Peter 3, which is like six or seven verses of just telling women how they need to submit to their husbands. <laughs> That's what he left me with. There was another one a, few, uh, a year or so ago, and it was like 10 verses about how we, we need to submit to the government. Uh, and he always seems to disappear on these complicated passages. But, so that's kind of our, our, our ongoing joke. But uh, this is Hebrews 10, uh, verses 26 through 39. I'm going to say a prayer for us, then we'll read the passage, and uh, we'll, we'll work through it. Let's open in prayer. Uh, Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for truth. Thank you for Christ. I pray uh, that your word and your truth and Christ would be illuminated in our time this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Hebrews 10, verses 26 through 39. For if we deliberately go on sinning after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire about to consume the adversaries. Anyone who disregarded the law of Moses died without mercy based on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think one will deserve who has trampled on the Son of God, who is regarded as profane the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified, and who has insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know the one who has said, Vengeance belongs to me, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of a living God. Remember the earlier days when after you had been enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to taunts and afflictions, and at other times you were companions of those who were treated that way. For you sympathized with the prisoners and accepted with joy the confiscation of your possessions because you know that you yourselves have a better and enduring possession. So don't throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you need endurance, so that after you have done God's will, you may receive what was promised. For yet in a very little while, the coming one will come and not delay, but my righteous one will live by faith. And if he draws back, I have no pleasure in him. But we are not those who draw back and are destroyed, but those who have faith and are saved. <coughs> so a bit of a heavier uh, and, and more difficult passage in way. So I want to start off with... A lighter scenario for us. If you're visiting this morning and you don't know, I have a daughter, Alice. She's three. I have another daughter, uh, Jane, who is one. And so the following example is something that is not uncommon or an unusual event uh, in our home. And this will resonate well with anyone who has kids or anyone who has had small kids. 
the house is just chaos. Uh, so we keep, we keep cabinet locks on the bottom locks uh, in the kitchen as one does to keep crawling kids from you know, opening the cabinets and getting into everything. And in one of our bottom cabinet spaces, uh, we keep the sweet stuff for baking. And among that sweet stuff, we usually have this bag of giant jumbo uh, marshmallows. And Alice, she loves these things. They're like her favorite things, these giant marshmallows. Uh, so from time to time, I'll be in the living room, minding my own, and then I'll notice that it will get really quiet. <laughs> and you know when you have kids, if it's really quiet, uh, something is going on that shouldn't be. And so when it's quiet like that, I know Alice uh, is getting into something. So I run to the kitchen to find that I forgot to put uh, the cabinet locks back on, and Alice has a jumbo march marshmallow in each hand. And her eyes are deadlocked with mine, and I tell her, Alice, you cannot have those right now. We're about to have some supper. If you eat good dinner, then you can have some marshmallows after, as a treat after supper, but you cannot have those now. If you eat them, you are in trouble. And then it's quiet while she's making her choice, and she's staring at me, and I'm staring back at her, a tumbleweed rolls across the kitchen floor. That's actually just Jane crawling around. And she makes her choice, and she proceeds to stuff both marshmallows in her mouth and sprint towards her room. And so now the chase ensues, right? And, and I, don't, I don't have a canine unit. We just have a cat, so I have to stick the cat on her. And so I, I chase her down. I corner her in the room. Uh, I cuff her. I carry her off to her punishment, and she's screaming and crying the whole way. She's screaming for mom, and I have to tell her, look, I know you may have heard that you have a right to an attorney, but under this roof, <laughs> you have no attorney. Mom cannot help you. Uh, any, any parent that's had small kids at some point, you know this interchange, right? Like, you, you've had this experience at some point where the kid wants to do something that they're not supposed to do, and you have to tell them and give them this strong warning and then the kid has to make their choice. Well, what we're seeing in this passage this morning is something similar. Reading and studying through the book of Hebrews, it really reads like a sermon. Like the, the, Whoever wrote this, the author, he's writing this letter with a pastoral heart. He's addressing a congregation, and like a parent telling their child, in love, the thing that you're thinking about doing, you need to not do that thing. It's not good for you. I'm warning you, don't do it. How we've told our kids that, it's the same way with this loving pastoral heart. He's telling these believers, I'm warning you, I know what you're thinking about doing, but don't do it. We've all had that interchange, and that's what he's doing in this passage. And he starts out with verse 26. He says, For if we deliberately go on sinning after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. This is one of probably the most complicated verses in the New Testament. Uh, and another one also comes from Hebrews chapter 6, something similar is said, because at face value, it sounds like he's saying we can lose our salvation. And there are some who use this verse to say that we actually can use our salvation if we go on sinning after becoming a believer. But there's, there's an old saying that I think is important to remember in this conversation that I think is relevant, and I want to start with it here. If you could lose your salvation, you would. If you could lose your salvation, everyone in here would lose it. And I think it's 
safe to say that everyone in this room has deliberately sinned while in the faith, right? I'll be the first to tell you, I have deliberately sinned against a person and against God while I have been a believer uh, in Jesus Christ. So either every single person in this room is doomed or this passage means something else. And I want to show you this morning how this passage means something different. So first, it's important with any passage, uh, we need to remember why Hebrews was written in the first place. So there were Jewish Christians, they had been living in Jerusalem, uh, and they had been facing persecution because of their faith, and they're worshiping Christ. So what was happening was life was getting kind of difficult for them because of what they claimed they believed. And so there was this temptation for some of these Jewish Christians to go back to the old covenant or their Old Testament practices and ways under the old sacrificial system uh, and animal sacrifices and high priests and pretty much everything that they used to do before there was ever any mention of the name Jesus Christ. Because if they went back to the time before there was the mention of the name Christ, life might be just a little bit easier for them. So there were some who were starting to think the old way is better. Life is really kind of hard right now, so I think the old way is better. And if you remember, as, as we've been going through this letter, the author of Hebrews, he's been reminding them, no, Jesus is better. Jesus Christ is better. That's what he's been doing this whole time. He starts out the whole letter saying, Jesus is better than the angels. He created the angels. He goes on to say, Jesus is greater than the high priest that you know. He's the final and eternal high priest. He goes on to say, Jesus is better than Melchizedek. And then here in chapter 10, he's been telling them that Jesus is the better sacrifice. You've been used to most of your life sacrificing bulls and goats. But I want you to know the blood of bulls and goats saves no one. Only the blood of Christ can save. And he's been telling them that Jesus is the perfect sacrifice, the only sacrifice that can eternally forgive our sins. So he says, you want to go back to the blood of bulls and goats, but you need to know there's no sacrifice for your sins if you go back to the blood of bulls and goats. In, in chapter 10, a little bit before our passage today, in verses 21 through 25, uh, the author, he writes to them, he says, Since we have a great high priest over the house of God, Verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water. Let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering, since he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day approaching. So he's telling them, he's writing in this letter in chapter 10, he's saying, be confident in your faith. Be bold in what you say you believe. Don't waver in your faith. Keep that confession of Jesus as Lord every day because Christ who is Lord, he is faithful. And he tells them, let the fruit of your faith in Jesus be this, provoking other believers to love and good works and continuing to gather together in worship. And then he starts off our, our passage this morning, verse 26, for if we deliberately go on sinning after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. An intimidating verse. In other words, he's saying, Hebrew Christians, if you have heard the gospel, if you know the gospel, if you say you believe the gospel, but you go and you turn your back on Jesus, 
and you put your faith and hope in the Old Testament sacrificial system and that way of life, there is no sacrifice for your sins. Why? Because it's Jesus or nothing. That's the gospel, Jesus or nothing. If you put your hope and faith in the old covenant ways, your hope and your faith are useless because those ways don't offer any sacrifice for your sins. The earthly high priest can't save you. The blood of bulls and goats can't save you. So if you turn your back and you settle your hope in those things, you need to know those things don't offer forgiveness for your sins. Now, I, I would be honestly and genuinely surprised to learn if anyone in our context in this room uh, is specifically considering turning from their faith in Christ and going back to the Old Testament system. Uh, but that doesn't mean there isn't a warning for us today because there may be a very real temptation to go back to whatever life it was that you lived before Christ. You may think and have moments where you think, gosh, it sure was easier before I started saying I had faith in Jesus. It'd be a lot easier if I didn't have to explain my way of life every time a non-Christian asked me why I did or didn't do certain things. Church is kind of a, a big commitment. It, it takes up a lot of my week. I've got kids. Life is busy. It, it's stressful. Life would sure be easier if I didn't have this big commitment hanging over me. If I didn't have to dedicate time to this every week, maybe, maybe Jesus isn't that important. Maybe his death and resurrection, maybe it's not as necessary as people say. Maybe I don't really need this like I've been told. There are endless ways for this temptation to come at us, but the root of that temptation is always the same. Life was better before. And when that temptation comes, that whisper saying, life was better before, this passage is warning us, don't do it. Because whatever else there is you think that you can put your hope and your faith in, if you settle your faith in that, there is no sacrifice for your sins because there's only a sacrifice for sins in Jesus Christ. And this passage is warning, if you turn your back on Jesus, on this gospel that you've heard, that you've claimed to believe, well, then judgment is coming for you. It says in verses 27 through 29, but a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire about to consume the adversaries. Anyone who disregarded the law of Moses died without mercy based on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think one will deserve who has trampled on the Son of God, who has regarded as profane the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified, and who has insulted the Spirit of grace? So he, he gives this reference here uh, to Moses and two or three witnesses, and that comes from Deuteronomy chapter 17. And Deuteronomy chapter 17 is addressing specifically people, uh, the Israelites, who forsook the Lord and they went and they worshiped the false idols. So verses 2 through 6 of Deuteronomy 17 says, If a man or woman among you is one of your towns that the Lord your God will give you, is discovered doing evil in the sight of the Lord and violating his covenant, and has gone to serve other gods by bowing to worship to the sun, the moon, or all the stars in the sky, which I have forbidden. And if you are told or hear about it, then investigate it thoroughly. If the report turns out to be true that this detestable act has been done in Israel, you are to bring out to your city gates that man or woman who has done this evil thing and stone them to death. The one condemned to die is to be executed on the testimony of two or three 
witnesses. So this passage, that passage in Deuteronomy 17, it's dealing with idolatry that was done in the Old Testament. If someone turned their back on the Lord and worshiped false idols, that person was to be put to death. And, and the way the author of Hebrews describes it, he says that person died without mercy. In other words, they didn't get a second chance. And he goes on to say, how much worse of a punishment do you think will come to the one who has trampled the Son of God, who has regarded as profane the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified, and who has insulted the Spirit of grace? So we read a, we read a passage like this. I think it's sort of the, the elephant in the room when you read, especially verse 26, and it leads us to wonder, is this person guilty? Is the person who's guilty of doing this, were they once genuinely, truly saved? and now they're losing their salvation. Well, I, I think the whole of Scripture is clear, and it's important we take the whole of Scripture, uh, the context of all of God's Word when considering a passage. I think Scripture is clear. If Christ has called you His, you are His forever and ever and ever. Amen. If Jesus has forgiven you once, He has forgiven you forever. But I'm not sure uh, that this person has truly submitted their heart to Christ, because the main evidence of real, genuine faith is continuing in the faith. Here, here's an example that, that I heard from Alistair Begg. I was listening uh, to him talk about this weekend, and I found that it was helpful. Imagine that you met me for the, for the first time, and, and we got to chatting, uh, and you asked me if I was married. And then I proceeded to uh, get out my wallet and unfold a piece of paper and hand it to you, and you look at it, and you see that it's a marriage certificate. And it says, Trevor and Laura married May 27th, 2017. Now, apart from that being a super weird thing to do, uh, you would also probably be thinking, I asked if you were married now, not five years ago. You, you and your wife, you guys could have split up sometime between now and then. I, I want to know about today. If someone, if I were to ask someone if they were a Christian and then they went to go digging through old boxes and they handed me a certificate of baptism or a certificate of salvation from 2002, I'm still going to be wondering, but what about today? Are you faithful today? And I, I'm not saying this to discourage uh, us from testifying about when and how the Lord saved us, but at the end of the day, that's just a piece of paper. Or, or, or just a picture, or just a video, or whatever it is, it doesn't actually mean anything concerning my continued faithfulness to the Lord. But what does mean something concerning continued faithfulness, according to Hebrews 10, is an unwavering confession of Christ as Lord, provoking other believers to love and good works, and faithfully gathering with my church family to serve and worship together. Now, what this passage is warning us about, I, I don't think is backsliding in the traditional understanding, uh, the traditional Baptist way of understanding, at least the way that I grew up hearing it. I don't think this is referring to the believer who slips up or, or gets lazy in the faith or falls into temptation and willfully chooses to walk in some sin from their old life. Uh, because that person, though making some, some very sad and poor choices, they aren't necessarily denying Christ or his work. They're in a dangerous place, but I don't think a hopeless one. The warning in this passage is, warning, is a warning against verse 29, trampling on the Son of God. This is looking at Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the one who is God, and essentially saying in your heart, with the life that you've chosen to live, actually, your work was worthless and pointless, and I don't need it. 
This passage is a warning against regarding as profane the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and who has insulted the spirit of grace. This is treating the death of Jesus as just any old ordinary death in history. Not the most important death in human history, but just any old normal ordinary death. It's treating his blood as the equivalent of the blood of an animal. Unnecessary. Blood that you don't need. It's a warning against insulting the spirit of grace. This is going, I know that the Holy Spirit is seeking to pierce my heart with conviction and love and desire for what's good for me, but I don't need it. I want the old way instead. And all of that is what we are guilty of when we know the work Jesus did, when we know what the gospel says, when we've heard it, we've been told of his love and our need for him, and we decide to reject Christ and put our faith and hope in anything but Christ, in the old ways, in something else entirely. And when our faith is in something else entirely other than Jesus Christ, there is no sacrifice or forgiveness for our sins in whatever life that is. That is a hopeless life, and, and judgment is in, imminent, and it's promised, and it says this is a judgment that's worse than death. Now, the purpose of this passage and this warning, it's not for us to start looking around the room or to start thinking about all the people we know uh, and try to figure out who we know that might be guilty of this. Think about Judas for a minute. Think about the, the night of the Lord's Supper. They're having the Lord's Supper, and Jesus says to them, he says, hey, someone in this room is going to betray me tonight. And nobody looked at Judas. Not one person. Why? Because it wasn't obvious to them. He had been with them. He had done miracles with them. He had served with them. It wasn't obvious, and, and they couldn't tell. And Jesus' point in saying this, it wasn't so that they could point fingers and try and figure it out. He wanted them to look into their own hearts. He wanted them to examine themselves. And it's the same thing with this passage. The purpose of this warning, it's for each of us to check our own hearts. In 2 Corinthians 13, Paul says, Test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves, or do you yourselves not recognize that Jesus Christ is in you unless you fail the test? The author of Hebrews is saying, Test yourselves, check your hearts. Are you being tempted to choose faith in something other than Christ alone? If you are, don't do it. It's not worth it because Jesus is better, and in Jesus, you have hope. Verses 32 through 36, he says, Remember the earlier days when after you had been enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to taunts and afflictions, and at other times you were companions of those who were treated that way. For you sympathized with the prisoners and accepted with joy the confiscation of your possessions because you know that you yourselves have a better and enduring possession. So don't throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you need endurance so that you have done God's will, so that when you have done God's will, you may receive what was promised. It's important to remember the author of Hebrews, he's writing this to believers. So while he's been recognizing the temptation to forsake the Lord and the church, like some have already done, and warning against doing it, he also wants to, con to encourage them to continue in the faith. So he says, take a minute, look back at that really hard time in your Christian life. Just, just think back about that really difficult time 
the time that you had to endure, the time that you struggled in your suffering, but yet you stayed faithful. You were publicly taunted and you were hurt and you joyfully accepted uh, your possessions being taken from you, but you went through all of this staying faithful. You endured. It's as if he's telling them, look, you've endured before. Things got really hard before, but you got through it. You can get through this today because of Christ. I was on the, uh, I was on the swim team in high school, uh, and I remember my first year, this is my first year swimming, uh, we started learning the butterfly. And this, this is, if you know anything about swimming, this is a very hard stroke, but it turned out that I had a pretty decent butterfly stroke. And I had practiced this stroke for like a week, and my coach says, hey, at the next meet, I'm going to put you in the 100 fly, uh, which is a very physically hard event. And what I learned at that event was I did have a good butterfly stroke for about 30 yards. <laughs> and then I was gassed. I had no energy left. Uh, there, there was nothing in me. And I, I, I remember I was going down that last 25 yards, and it did not look like a butterfly stroke. It looked like I was trying to give the water CPR. <laughs> it, 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 was, it was absolutely terrible, and it was ugly. And I remember thinking as I had barely finished uh, the 75 yards, I still had 25 yards to go. I remember thinking, I don't know if I can do another 25. Like, I really, I want to quit. I want to get out. And that's what I wanted to do, to do, but I didn't. I finished it. And it was ugly, it wasn't pretty, but I learned in that moment my body was capable of doing it, and so I did it. Fast forward a few years to my senior year, and, and we're practicing for regionals, which those are always the hardest practices. Uh, and the coach says, today for practice, we're going to do 30 100-yard swims on a minute 30. And it ended up being like under, just under two miles of swimming in about 45, 50 minutes. And uh, it, it, was, it was very hard. And we finished 20 of them. And I remember I was gassed. I had no energy left. I remember thinking, I really want to quit. I just want to get out. Forget you, coach. I just want to go lay in my bed and not ever get in the water again. But I remember, too, thinking back, and this happened frequently when we were having difficult swim practices, I would think back to doing that 100-meter fly, that butterfly, and thinking, I finished then, I can finish now. And I did. And that's what the author of Hebrews is telling these believers. If you've endured before, if the Holy Spirit has gotten you through before, he will get you through now. So if you're here today and you feel a temptation to give up in any way, look back at your life and see that God has been there for you. See how God has strengthened you in your faith when times were hard. Look back at how he gave you the ability to endure when you were suffering. Because the Lord is wanting to give you that strength again today. You know, the, the Christian life, it can be very, very hard sometimes. That's just the honest truth. Uh, and, and if someone hears a passage like this and they go, I don't know, my Christian walk has been pretty easy, then I might argue that's not a true Christian life. Uh, because if it was always easy, there wouldn't be any command to endure. There wouldn't be so much talk about suffering. There wouldn't be so much talk about trials. Like, the Christian walk is hard. It's hard to want things that we know we shouldn't want, and it's hard to not want the things that we know we should want. It's hard to be hated by the world. It's hard to be hated by family who are non-believers. It's hard uh, when we look at ourselves and we go, I just, I feel like I'm not being good enough today. I feel like I'm not being what Christ wants me to be. 
You know, there's a reason Jesus said, if anyone wants to follow me, let him deny himself, pick up his cross, and follow me. He used the most cruel way of death as an example for following him uh, because he knew this isn't always going to be easy. But Christ would promise you, and I'll promise you today, it is absolutely worth it. It's worth it to be redeemed from sin. It's, it's worth it to have his Holy Spirit give us the strength to say no when we need to say no and to say yes when we need to say yes. It's worth it to serve a Lord who is not a dead idol, but a risen king, someone that we know who lives. Like, he is alive. He is real. It's worth it to know that. It's worth it to know that when no one else is around and we are physically lonely, he is still there and he is still faithful. It's worth it to have hope, to know that in the darkest moments of our life, there is another life coming, a better life, an eternal life. And according to this passage, Hebrews 10, this is a promised life for those who are in Christ. It's absolutely worth it, but it does cost us something. And because it costs us something, we're called to endure. So if you're wondering what endurance looks like practically, I'll remind you and point you back to verses 24 and 25. Provoking one another to love and good works, and do not forsake the gathering of God's people. Do not forsake this. It is good for us. And when we come and when we gather, I know it's not always easy. There are times when it's going to feel like you just don't want to be here, but it's still good for you, and it's enduring to be able to get out of bed and to come anyways, knowing that you don't want to be here. I'll close with this. Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, all of it, up until this point, has spent so much time talking about blood. Uh, it talks so much about the blood of animals and what used to be in the old way, and it's pointing to the blood of Christ, which is the better way. Our faith is only possible because of his blood. Endurance in our faith, it is only possible because of his blood. Because without his blood, we have no hope. None. We have no sacrifice. We have no forgiveness for our sins. It is only by his blood that we have this hope and that we can gather together here this morning and this way and worship him together. It's only by his blood that we can be confident in our salvation. Because when we fail, we know his blood still covers us. One of the greatest blessings of, of being a believer is not having to worry over our shortcomings. To be able to know that Jesus Christ has forgiven us of our sins and he calls us his and he loves us and he's preparing a kingdom for us even though we fall short. It's freeing. It's freeing to know that we have ourselves and our sins covered by his blood. I'll, I'll be honest with you. I, I had some stress this week with this passage. I mean, verse 26, that's just a, a, a difficult a verse to have to talk about. And there's different interpretations of that verse. There's different understandings uh, of that verse. And this was just a hard one. And sometimes there's going to be hard passages. It's just the way that it is. Uh, and it's difficult when you're not necessarily feeling fully confident about an approach that you're taking to a passage. Because I, I want to do right by the Lord. I want to do right by Scripture. It is very important to me. But last night as I was thinking about this, the Holy Spirit reminded me of the blood of Christ. And I was comforted to know if, if I got something wrong this morning, his blood covers me, and it's all right. And I was comforted to know that his blood 
gives me peace. And that reminder, it gave me peace in that moment, and I was able to have a good night's sleep. So whatever decision or action you, you may be stressing over this morning or worried over, know with confidence if you are in Christ, you are forgiven, you are covered, and you can have peace. And while I may not have full confidence about my understanding of every passage of Scripture, here's what I am confident of. Jesus Christ is Lord. He loves us, and he is opening his arms this morning, saying, come to me, anybody who is weary or burdened or broken because of sin and pain and the brokenness in this world, and he's inviting you to come to him because in him you will find rest. And that's his promise. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're grateful for the blood of Christ. We're thankful that you shed your own blood so that we could be covered and so that we could have salvation from our sin. I ask this morning that you would encourage each and every one of us. And if someone doesn't know you, please add them to your kingdom today. Amen. Uh, as Jordan always says, y'all, we are a coming forward church. So if you need prayer this morning, uh, I'd be happy to pray with you if you want to come. Uh, if you just want to come and kneel and have a prayer to yourself, you're welcome to do that. Uh, if you have uh, taken the membership class and you've been wanting to join the church, you can come forward to join and we'll vote on you. If you've trusted Christ this morning, uh, come forward, not because that does anything for your soul, but because we want to know, we want to celebrate with you. Uh, for whatever reason you have to come, please come.